listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Some of you maybe maybe you're keeping up with the Johnny Depp thing, and what's that lady's name? That that okay, I, I don't I don't know her name. I haven't read the articles, or or a lot of people are are seemingly concerned about Chris Rock and and Will Smith slapping him upside the head. I think we all know about that, and Chris is just now getting his hearing back, or or maybe maybe you know you're you know keeping up with the Kardashians. That seems to be important, or Kanye's latest song, or. Maybe you know that the Braves came back in the eighth inning last night and actually won the game against San Diego, and their game started at 11.30 today. Um, you'd have to miss church to go to that. Or maybe you're concerned about Matt Ryan and the Falcons and the fact that Matt's no longer with the Falcons and who's going to be the quarterback for the Falcons. Or maybe on a more serious note, you heard of 10 people losing their lives in Buffalo because someone just in, in lunacy decided that he wanted to kill people. What a messed up world that we live in. We're all struggling with gas, gas prices, and we keep up with that every day. The news tells us what it was a year ago or what it was under a previous administration, and I think that gas prices and inflation and now something that I've never heard of, a formula shortage. How in the world do you live in a world like we do with so much, and we can't even keep formula on the shelves, and that seems to be making the news. The stock market's going down and up occasionally and down more occasionally. We're struggling with, according to some, climate change. Either the earth is cooling or the earth is warming. Take your pick. And then there are the leaks at the Supreme Court of the United States relative to um, Roe v. Wade and overturning that. There's a lot happening, and it demands our attention. And some of it is worthy and some of it is crazy and doesn't demand our attention. But our level of and the depth of knowledge and the frequency of curiosity and conversation is telling. The things that we talk about are telling. The things that we think about, the things that we scroll through on our phones, they are telling. And what they are telling, at least, is this. Perhaps they are an answer to this question. What kingdom has our heart? What kingdom has our heart? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of earth? What kingdom has, has our heart? What about your hopes and your dreams and aspirations? What about your time and your money? What about your accumulation, the things that you want to collect? What about your schedule and checkbook? You see, I fear this morning that we look like, think like, live like, love like everyone else in the kingdom of this world. We love what they love. We want what they want. We treasure what they treasure. We enjoy what they enjoy, except for 1030 on Sunday morning. And just because you come to church at 1030 on Sunday morning doesn't mean you're in the kingdom of heaven. Being in and committed to and living for and a part of the kingdom of heaven is all-encompassing. Every area of your life and every area of my life. As we come to Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. 
Now, as you think about the kingdom, here's what I want you to think about. And this is a question we need to use to apply to our lives. Here's what most of us think. Is it okay or not? Is it okay if I do this? Is it not okay if I do this? Does Scripture forbid me from doing this or does Scripture allow me to do this? A lot of times people will say, I'll tell you what, I love Jesus, but there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with how I'm using my resources. There's nothing wrong with how I'm using my time. Does Scripture forbid it? Does Scripture permit it? Those are the wrong questions. The question that needs to be asked is this, what kingdom am I a part of? That spins it all around. That changes everything. What kingdom am I a part of? Is it okay if if I have this? Is it okay if I do this? You want to look at the moral aspect of it, or do you want to say, hey, what kingdom am I a part of? What kingdom am I committed to? What kingdom am I living for? And how is that reflected in the details of my life? In Luke 17, beginning in verse 20, we see five responses to the kingdom. Notice them as we read through. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God could, would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So Jesus, first of all, is addressing the Pharisees. But we see in verse 22 that he turns to a different group. He talks to the disciples. Then he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. The Son of Man is terminology that's used in Daniel chapter 7, and it's used 80 different times in the Gospels, and it's speaking of the Son of Man who establishes His kingdom when Jesus Christ will come in all of His glory. You're going to long to see Christ come back in the fullness of His glory, but you're not going to see it. And they will say to you, look here and look there. Do not follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. When the Son of Man comes back, nobody's going to have to convince you that the Son of Man has come back. You're going to know it. You're just going to know it. You're going to, it's going to be undeniable. You're going to see it and know it. You don't have to l- let somebody come and tell you that, th- that this is Jesus or Jesus is there. You will know it. Everybody will know it. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, now he's addressing a different group. He addressed the disciples. Now he's talked to the, to the disciples about the people in the days of Noah, about the people in Sodom in the days of Lot. And he's going to talk about Lot's wife. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. By the way, nothing wrong with any of those things that he's describing here. Nothing morally wrong with eating food and drinking uh, water or whatever. I, I don't know that that's a reference to drinking alcohol. Someone may associate it with that. I think he's just saying you're eating because people eat and you're drinking because people drink and you're marrying because people get married and you're just enjoying everything that the world says you will enjoy. He says when the Son of Man comes back in the fullness of his glory, when Jesus comes back and establishes his visible kingdom before all of us, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. They were just living life. They were immersed in life. Noah entered the ark. The flood came, destroying them all. I'm sure they were shocked. Their calendar was shocked. Their plans were shot. What they were building, what they were investing in was all gone. Verse 28, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, 
So they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day that the Son of Man is revealed, where everybody will know it, like he was telling the disciples. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop, uh, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. There is nothing in this world worth losing your soul over. When the Son of Man comes, you're not going to be like, oh my goodness, I've got this collection of 1970s, 1971 basketball cards. And I'm thinking, if my house were to burn down, besides some uh, things that I would use to protect myself if things got bad, I would hate to lose my basketball cards. I've had them ever since the 1970s. But when Jesus comes back, I'm not running down to the basement to open up the footlocker to get my basketball cards out to take to heaven with me. There's nothing that I'm going to go grab and take to heaven with me because there is nothing on this earth that is worse, worth missing heaven for. Notice, notice the comparison that he's going to make here in a minute. He said, um, don't come down and take it away. And likewise, the one who is in, in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. What did Lot's wife do? Lot's wife had a chance to escape destruction, but Lot's wife's heart was in Sodom. You can, you, can take, you can take your family out of Sodom, but you can't take Sodom out of your family when you expose them to these kinds of things. There was this love, and there was this longing, and there was this awareness on the part of Lot's wife that she could not stand to live apart from all that she thought was life in Sodom. Verse 33, Jesus, again, addresses those who are considering what he's saying. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. Whoever thinks that life is here is probably going to lose their life. Whoever thinks that real life is found in the kingdom of this world is going to lose their life. But whoever thinks that life is found in the kingdom of heaven will save their life, but they will not be living for life here on this earth. There will be a stark difference between someone who is living in the kingdom of this world and living in the kingdom of our Christ. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. You say, what are all the implications of that? That just means it's going to be extremely sudden. It's going to be shockingly sudden. It's going to happen so quick. You're going to be like, good night, honey. Talk to you tomorrow. What are we doing tomorrow? What are we eating for breakfast tomorrow? Boom, it's over. It's gone. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord, he said to them, and he's talking about judgment now, where the corpse is, there the vultures will, be, will gather. Where, where there is death, where there will be buzzards gathering to scavenge those things that have died because those who do not live for the kingdom will spend eternity separated from holy God. Let me just give you uh, five things and try to make some application. Number one, the Pharisees. Five responses to the kingdom, the, the response of the Pharisees. The Pharisees can't see it. They come and they ask a legitimate question. When, when is the kingdom coming? Now, they're not talking about the, the rule of God over the universe and over all time. They're not talking about uh, Psalm 24:1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all the people who dwell therein. They're talking about the rule and reign of Messiah. They're talking about Messiah's kingdom. They're talking about the messianic kingdom. Messiah to the Jewish people was going to come and deliver Israel and set up his earthly 
throne and kingdom in Israel and all of Israel's enemies and all of Israel's adjutants were going to be defeated. They were going to be subdued and Israel was going to be recognized for the amazing people that they were, the chosen people of God. They were going to be prominent. They were going to be significant. They were going to be recognized and glorified. And so the Pharisees are saying, when is the messianic kingdom that exalts Israel going to be established? This physical earthly kingdom where Messiah rules. They had it figured out. They weren't asking how. They weren't asking what it was going to look like. They weren't asking for some interpretation of Scripture. They were asking for a date. If we know a date, we can be ready. But Jesus basically said, you have it all wrong. You have concluded that you think the kingdom is how you think the kingdom is going to look. And the kingdom that you're looking for is not going to look anything like you think it's going to look like. Messiah's kingdom is not going to look like you think Messiah's kingdom is going to look. You're looking for a kingdom of power and domination and prosperity and self-exaltation. By the way, lost people are looking for that same kind of kingdom. And the Pharisees were wrong. Jesus told them this. In verses 20 and 21, the kingdom is right in front of you. The kingdom is right in front of you. The kingdom is wherever the king is. Jesus Christ is the king, and wherever the king is present, that is where the kingdom is. Where Jesus is walking and talking with his disciples, there is the kingdom. Where Jesus is preaching, there is the kingdom. Where Jesus, where Jesus is healing, there is the kingdom. Wherever the king is, that is where the kingdom is. Is the king comes and regenerates hearts, and where there are hearts that have been regenerated and people invited into his kingdom, that is where the kingdom is. Where there are people that are transformed and they're committed to his word and his mission, there is the kingdom. Now, let me give you a brief overview of the kingdom, and I want you to think about the kingdom in four parts. First of all, I want you to think about the kingdom in its inauguration when Jesus Christ came. Matthew chapter 3 tells us, John the Baptist said, verse 2, behold the kingdom, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So what we see in Christ's first coming is the inauguration or the start of the kingdom. We know Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was crucified, he was resurrected, he gathered with the disciples in Matthew 28, and he says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. I am the king of everything, but I'm going to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, and that is not the inauguration of the kingdom, that is the coronation of the king. And so Jesus has, has been recognized by heaven as the king of kings and lord of lords. So we move from inauguration to coronation, and what we're existing in right now is a time where there, where there is this conflict between two kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven exists here. The kingdom of heaven is existent on this earth. It is an invisible kingdom, but we as believers should be striving and living to make this invisible kingdom visible by how we live, by how we speak, by how we love, by how we relate by being on mission for the king, by having the Spirit of God living in us and flowing through us, we make the kingdom visible. But while we make the kingdom visible, please make no mistake that, that those of us who are in the kingdom of heaven will absolutely and must be in conflict with the kingdom of this world. 
And we've been told in the church that you don't have to do that, that you can keep a foot in both worlds. And you can't. And so there's the inauguration, there's the coronation, but now while we exist, we exist in conflict, in competition with this world because we are of two different kingdoms. We, if we are in the kingdom of heaven, if we are a part of the kingdom of God, if we are a part of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are not going to fit into the world. The world is going to be repulsed by us. And then finally, there's going to be the consummation of the kingdom. And that's where the language of the Son of Man in the text that we've looked at. When Jesus comes back and he is seen for who he is, he said, all authority has been given unto me. And he sent his disciples out. But there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And every single human being that is on the face of this planet, all eight billion of us are going to recognize it is going to be undeniable. Nobody will miss it that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the consummation of the kingdom. And that is what we are looking for. And so when the Pharisees are asking about the kingdom and Jesus is explaining the kingdom, these are the four facets, at least for our conversation this morning, that we see in the kingdom. And the Pharisees could not see it. I'll ask you as I close out just these two verses and move on to the conversation with the disciples in verses 22 to 25. What about the way you think says you live in the kingdom? What about the way you think says you live in in the kingdom are you living under a theo theological umbrella that lets you enjoy the best of both kingdoms one of the greatest challenges that we will ever face and that will constantly be rubbing and creating dissonance in our heart and it should we should be living in this world with some measure of dissonance is trying to figure out how to live in the kingdom of this world while our citizenship is in heaven you better struggle with that, ladies and gentlemen. You better struggle with it. You better look at what you're doing and how you're living and what you value and say, what kingdom does this reflect? So don't miss that. The second thing is not only the Pharisees can't see it, but the disciples can't miss it. Verses 22 to 25. Jesus then turns in verse 25 and he begins to have this conversation with the disciples and and the, the Pharisees, Jesus is saying the kingdom is already, but when Jesus begins to address the disciples, he's saying the kingdom is not yet. So the kingdom is this already, but not yet. There are facets of the kingdom that are already happening, that are already visible, that are already present, but there are some things about the kingdom that are not yet, that are going to be in the future. So we use that terminology, the kingdom is already not yet. And Jesus talks about the Son of Man. I've already mentioned that, and he's, he's telling us that, and my interpretation, my application, of it is this, that you will desire for the kingdom to come. Things will get so bad that you will long for something better. You will realize that, that what you long for cannot be found in the kingdom of this world. But we're trying. We're trying to find hope and happiness and joy in the kingdom of this world. But a time is coming when our hope in this world and all of its lies will drain us. And we will long for a kingdom whose king can bring peace and healing and power and love and joy and hope. I read the news feed this week that India is going to stop exporting grain because of a fear of grain shortages. But I want to tell you that we live in a kingdom where grain shortages will not exist because our king is the bread of life. 
in this kingdom of this earth, there there, uh, is led in drinking water. But in the kingdom that we're going to, our king is the king of living water. We live in this kingdom where fear exists and we have alarm systems and we arm ourselves and, and we're scared if somebody drives down our driveway, at least I am. But in the kingdom of heaven, the Lord is my shield. The Lord is my strong tower. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He, he walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death. The kingdom of this world is a kingdom of loneliness and mental illness, but not in the kingdom of our God because he will feed us and uphold us. He's saying there's going to come a time when you're going to long for the days of the Son of Man. You're going to long to see a full manifestation of the Son of Man in all of his glory. I long for that day. I long for that. I think I've tried just about everything that this world has to offer. And it's just left, left, my, left my mouth dry because it didn't quench my thirst. It's left me gnawing in my spiritual stomach because it didn't satisfy. I, I've, I've, I'm not a wealthy person, but I've had everything that I've wanted. And it didn't satisfy I talk to people who have a lot more than I do and they're nearing the end of their life and they're like, what am I going to do with all of this? It doesn't make them happy. It doesn't make them saved. It hasn't helped their family. We long for something better. We long for something different. I long for the king to show up and walk on the scene of the world that we live in and say, that child in the womb is created in my image. That child of the womb is created for my praise and my glory. I long for the king to stand up and say, you will not kill it. I long for a day when the king shows up and says, I created you male and female. And no, it's not right to give your kids drugs because they don't know what gender they are. We know what gender they are from the day that they're born. But folks, we are shaking our fist in the face of the King of kings and Lord of lords to say, I know how you made me, but I'm going to be God. I'm going to be God over life. I'm going to take life. I'm going to be God over my existence and my anatomy, and I will take whatever drugs I want to take, and I will have whatever surgery I want to have. I I long for a day when dads don't abuse or abandon. I long for a day in that kingdom where husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, and husbands and wives love each other and enjoy one another to put the gospel on display. Where there is no divorce, where there is no hatred, where there is no racism, where there is no Marxism. Hallelujah. But wait, we got to realize several things need to happen. He's telling us in the text there will be many announcements of the kingdom. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. And Jesus said, hold on, time out. But before anything happens and before you go into that kingdom and before you experience that kingdom, the king has got to suffer and die. 
This is the heart of the scriptures, the the suffering, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. That should be at the heart of your life. If you don't know Christ, at the heart of knowing Christ is understanding that Jesus Christ came and lived the life that you could not live. And he said, I'm going to give you my perfect righteousness. And Jesus Christ came and died the death that you could not die because when you died, you will die for your sin. But if you accept him, you accept the fact that he died for your sin in your place. Therefore, you don't have to die for your sin and experience the full fury of the wrath of God. And Jesus Christ rose victorious over an enemy that we could not defeat. We cannot defeat death. No one has, but Jesus did. He said, I give you eternal life. So he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, before uh, you see this kingdom, the king must suffer, sin must be defeated, sin must be atoned for, our interior world must be transformed. And finally, Jesus is telling them, when the kingdom does return, it will be unfathomable. It will be undeniable. No one will say there is not a king. No one will say that Jesus Christ is not king. Nobody's going to say that our religion is the opium of the masses. Nobody's going to say that. They're going to see, they're going to know, they can't deny it will be impossible to miss. So the Pharisees can't see it and the disciples can't miss it, but the world won't expect it. We see that in verses 26 to 30. The text is clear. He goes, first of all, to Genesis chapter 6 and then to Genesis chapter 20. What is he saying about these people? He says in verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man when Jesus comes back. Just as it was in the days of Lot, so will it be in the Son of Man. What in the world is going on? What is he saying? He's saying that in those days, here is a a, a warning to Lot and his wife, get out and get out now, and his wife wouldn't listen. And in the days of Noah, 120 years, Noah is building this boat, and they're like, what is this idiot over here doing? And it didn't dawn on them that Noah might be right until it started raining. What's what's going on? Here's what's going on. They were were self-absorbed in their own interest. All they cared about was themselves. They were steeped in secularity. They were preoccupied with the world. They were painlessly immersed in this world as if this world is all that there is and all that life is, all that, all that is left to life is for us to have just a little bit more of what this world has to offer. That's what he's saying. They were living immersed in the world and they couldn't see this invitation into the kingdom all around them. One writer said this, it is the frenzied pace of one thing after another that loses sight of the coming of the Son of Man. It is the frenzied pace of one thing after another that loses sight of the coming Son of Man. The possibility of the any moment return of the Son of Man should generate urgency and detachments from the trinkets and the temptations of this world. But the constant bombardment of joys and toys of this world have severed us from, have amputated us from, have disconnected us from the possibility of the coming flood and the fire and the brimstone that happened to them. Jesus Christ is coming back in all of his glory, and those that are in his kingdom will be saved, but those who are not in his kingdom will be destroyed. The flood, the fire, the sulfur caught them all by surprise. That's what he's saying. 
So I think, I think it would be well for us to just say, hey, I'm going to take inventory of my life, and I need to ask myself, where is my heart? Is my heart in the kingdom of this world, but I've made a profession of faith? Is my heart in the kingdom of this world, but I've been baptized? Is my heart in the kingdom of this world, but I go to church? Or is my heart in the kingdom of heaven, and then is everything that is attached to my life focused on and poured into the kingdom of heaven? Or am I living just like every other lost person and want the same things except I call time out on Sunday morning and go to church? The fourth thing we see, the fourth response is this, the surrendered life. The surrendered will find it. The Pharisees can't see it. The disciples can't miss it. The world won't expect it, and the surrendered will find it. Look at verses 31 to 33. On that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life or preserve what he thinks is life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. Th th those, are, those are stark differences. And, and there's, it, there doesn't seem to be like any gray area in there. Do you see that? You're either seeking to save your life or you're seeking to lose your life. But there's, there's not like this, this mixed up place in the middle where you, you can just find yourself hanging out. Let me just make a few statements and I'll move on to the final point. There is nothing on this earth that is worth living for. This is what he's saying. When he's talking about, when he's talking about if you're on the roof and, and judgment comes or the, the, the day comes when the Son of Man shows up, don't say, wait a minute, something's valuable down in the house. There's nothing on this earth worth living for. There is nothing in the kingdom of this world that is worth giving your life, your time, your energy to or for. There's nothing on this earth that is worth losing your soul for. There's nothing on this earth that gives real eternal life. There's nothing on this earth that is greater than the kingdom or more, or more valuable than the kingdom. That's what he's saying in the text. There is nothing on this earth that you will take into the kingdom with you. So stop loving the kingdom of this world. Stop living for the kingdom of this world. Remember Lot's wife. She just looked back. <laughs> I'm sure more was going on. She thought that all that she thought was life was in Sodom. Did you hear that? She thought that all that she thought was life was back in Sodom. Probably the relationships, probably the parties, probably something in her jewelry box, probably her house, probably their status, probably their, their sense of self-importance, their significance. She's, she's leaving what she thought was life at the urging of these angelic beings, of the messengers of God. And she cannot imagine living life apart from Sodom and living life in God's kingdom. Quite frankly, she surrendered to a lesser kingdom, and many of us do that, and it cost her everything, and it will cost you and me everything. And so... We in the kingdom of heaven have to come to this place where we surrender. Life is not here. Life is not in anything here. Can I tell you, you were created for more. 
You were created for more. You were created for a different kingdom. You were created for a different relationship. And you don't come to church so that life in the kingdom can be better. The, the worldly kingdom can be better. We don't come to church so that life in the material kingdom can be better. We don't. We gather as the saints of God because we recognize that we are an alternative community living in a different kingdom that is in conflict with the world. And we need to encourage one another and help one another to continue to stay faithful to the kingdom of heaven in the midst of all of these temptations where the world and our hearts and our minds are saying, this is where value is. Come here. No, it's not there. It's in Christ. And even if you have to leave everything that's familiar, and even if you have to leave your house and Sodom and all of the, the joys and the toys of Sodom and go live up in the mountains, you're better off if you're committed to the kingdom of heaven. There's this great contrast here. Then finally, verses 34 to 37, he says, those who miss it, will perish those who surrender will find it you will not find the kingdom of heaven living for yourself you just won't and if, if you if you want a, a theology that's going to tell you that you can live for yourself and you can have all of the values that the world calls uh, believes deems as valuable I, I would be a liar to tell you that i would be leading you straight into the kingdom of this world, straight in, into the depths of hell. I'm not going to do that. I'm telling you there's a different kingdom, and it looks different than this worldly kingdom, and it's a kingdom that we're supposed to be living for and giving ourselves to. And we can't amalgamate these two kingdoms together. Those who miss it will perish, verses 34 to 37. I already mentioned, as we come to verse 34, he's talking about just the, the suddenness, the, the shocking nature of thinking that, that you're going to bed and you're going to wake up and you're going to, uh, uh, my, my wife's, I don't know whose alarm went off first, mine or hers, but I was certain that she was going to be laying beside me over there on that king-size bed somewhere between, between a, a bunch of pillows and sheets and blankets. There, there's, there's, my wife's over there somewhere, okay? Um, I, I, I didn't think maybe she won't be there tomorrow. But the Son of Man is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back in all of his glory. And when he comes back, those who do not know him will face certain death. That's why I was talking about vultures gathering. And you don't want to be there. And so I plead with you, this morning. Jesus is returning in all of his glory. You may be a God denier. You may be a sin lover. You may be in the majority of, of, of those who are the kingdom of this earth. The scales may seem to be tipping in your favor more and more every day, but one day you will be shocked when Jesus Christ returns in all of his glory and all of the kingdom that you're living in and living for is destroyed. Turn to the one king, the suffering servant, the lover of your soul, and be saved. Come into the eternal kingdom. There's some beautiful things on this earth that man has created. There's some great places to go in this earthly kingdom and some great things to do, but there is nothing more beautiful than the kingdom that our king has prepared for those who love him and know him. I invite you into the kingdom. But there's something that, I, as I close, just I want to mention in the next couple of minutes. 
The Gospel of Luke is paired with the book of Acts. And in fact, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to Theophilus, volume 1, and then he wrote the book of Acts, volume 2. So, same author. The Gospel is talking about the life of Jesus. The book of Acts is talking about the work of the Spirit in the church. The writings of Luke in these two books comprise 27.5% of the New Testament. So, if we're talking about the kingdom, I think it would be prudent to ask ourselves, what did the kingdom look like? Right? And I think we can go to the book of Acts to say, okay, I want to be in the kingdom. I want to be in the kingdom. How do I live if I'm in the kingdom? I already know how to live in the kingdom of this world. I already know how to live in the kingdom of this world. Now, I know some of you this morning, they're looking at my converse, and you're just like, he must really be connected to the kingdom of this world. He's got on a, a, a pair of converse. Can I tell you that when I was coming up, that's all we had? So I don't think they're so cool myself. Um, th that's just what we wore. We wore them for everything. If you played tennis, if you played basketball, if you played football, if you played baseball, that's all we could afford was a pair of, of, of uh, Chuck Taylor Converse. Um, I thought I'd go ahead and get that off your mind that you're wondering what kingdom I'm a part of wearing a pair of Converse. But as we look at the book of Acts, we, we see what people who were converted and now uh, Peter, Acts chapters 1 to 12, and Paul, Acts 13 to 28, we see how they live because it would really be good to know. We know how to live in the kingdom of this world, but what is life like if we are really a part of the kingdom of heaven? And I, th I think it's imperative that we, that we can consider that. And I just want to go to Acts. I just want to walk through Acts and share a few verses with you in the next couple of minutes. It's interesting. Jesus is talking here. They're going back, pulling in some of the end of the Gospels and having this conversation with Jesus. So when they had come together, Acts 1-6, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He didn't answer their question directly. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons. Talking about the kingdom that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Isn't that interesting? They're asking a question about the kingdom, and Jesus gives them an answer to the kingdom. What should be happening in the kingdom? What should be happening in the kingdom is those, those who know Christ will be filled with the Spirit, and those who know Christ in his kingdom will then have this passion and desire to take the gospel to everyone that they know. What kingdom are you in? Then we go over to Acts chapter 2, and we get a, a, a more lucid picture of the kingdom. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 41. It says in verse 41, So those who, were, who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's after Peter preached at Pentecost, and the Spirit came, and everybody heard the gospel proclaimed the good news of the kingdom proclaimed in their own language. Listen, listen to what happened in the, in, in, in the New Testament. These people that heard this kingdom language and Jesus is talking to them about when the kingdom is going to come. And they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received with their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being 
say. This is, this is what Jesus intended for his people as we live here as his people on this earth. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31, we see something similar. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, and they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them. And he says there wasn't a needy person among them because they were in a, a kingdom that was different than the kingdom of this world. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 42 and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 7, after the appointing of um, the deacons. That's what I, what I just, or the deacons or pastors, you can argue about that. Um, Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that the Christ is Jesus, Acts chapter 9 and verse number 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. It's growing. People are being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 16 and verse number 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in the numbers daily. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 20 says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then if you go to the last three verses of the book of Acts, we see the same thing happening. And, and just, just listen to the language. Therefore, let it be known that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense, talking about Paul, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You say, man, if, if I'm in the kingdom, how should I be living? Probably along the same lines that we just saw there in the book of Acts because this is a picture of what it was like after Christ resurrected and his church was established, manifested in the book of Acts. That's not how we should be living. You say, what should I be doing? Read the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts. This is who we are. This is how we live. What kingdom are you known for? What kingdom are you known for? Are you life-giving or life-draining? Are you self-righteous or humble? Are you, are you peaceful or are you filled with anxiety? Is your kingdom a kingdom of unity or division? Is your kingdom a kingdom of joy or pressure? Is your kingdom a kingdom of love or anger? Is your kingdom a kingdom of healing or is it destructive? I don't know, what, I don't know why you got up this morning. And I don't know what you have planned for this week. But the question is not, is it okay? The question is, what kingdom are you living in? Do you hear me? The question is not, is it okay? Is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I don't do this? That's not the question. The question is not, is it okay if I, if I, if I watch this on Netflix? That's not the question. The question's not, is it okay if I purchase this? 
question is, what kingdom are you living in that's much bigger than is it right or is it wrong? When you make a decision, a purchase, speak a word, have a conversation, look at your phone, walk in at your job or in the classroom, the question is not what does Scripture allow or forbid. The question is what kingdom am I living in? Is your kingdom the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of heaven? And if your passion is to live in the kingdom of heaven, it will impact and influence every decision you make. But if your passion is for and your values are in the kingdom of this world, that will influence and impact every decision, every word, every relationship. What kingdom are you living in? In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus was about to leave and go to his death. And they remembered the Passover. And just one verse in verse 29, as we look at the Lord's table this morning, or communion, or the juice and the bread. Jesus basically said, eat and drink. Listen to this. He said, I, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Two things are happening when we take juice and we take bread and we ingest it. Number one, they are symbols of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're remembering the Lord and his life that was given for us, his life that was given to us, and the life that we now live on the basis of his life that was given for us. But we also proclaim that we are looking forward to a better kingdom. We're looking forward to a better king. We're looking forward to the day when the Son of Man returns and we see him in all his glory. And we go to that great banquet and enjoy seeing our Lord face to face. And celebrating together. Folks, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Live in his kingdom until he returns. So that your knee will willfully bow. And your tongue will willfully and joyfully proclaim. He is king of kings. And lord of lords. To the glory of God the father. Is he your king? Is he your lord? Are you living in his kingdom?